why did I do this? Yeah. Like, that was a dumb idea. Like, yeah. I could just be in my nice, cozy job over there. Some months would be burning like 150 grand a month. And I'd be like, you know, like, this is so much money. And I've got, you know, we've raised a finite amount of money. So I've got finite amount of time to prove this idea out. I can't go to your team and be like, what oh, tip? Like, we run out of money in nine months' time. Like, you kind of got to carry that on your own. Yeah. I didn't take a salary for the first two years yep. and reinvested everything back into the business and just hustled. How have you been able to find mentors? Do your research. Come on, don't waste their time. Yeah. And then close the loop, like come back to them and be like, these are the five things that I've done that we talked about. This is the impact. This is now where I'm stuck. Can yeah. I have help with these three things now? Is it enjoyable? Is it stressful? Are there sleepless nights? It's so stressful. It is hands down the most stressful thing that I've ever been through. I'm so grateful that I made that decision now. But at the time, it was so challenging because I also really believed that that business was going to fold, mm. that we were going to cannibalize that business. I was going to bleed it dry, sinking money into TRF yeah. and so that I would end up with you know, no business there at all. Just quickly before we get started, guys, if you've been enjoying the podcast, can I please ask that you consider leaving a five-star review and subscribing on whatever platform you've been listening. It really helps the podcast grow. Joseph, ready to go? Thank you. See? All right. <laughs> well, whenever Joe's ready, we'll get started with Precious another episode. Yeah. All right. All right. Now, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Life, Money, and Love. We have the amazing Taryn Williams uh, on the on the show today. So you might have seen her face around. She's she's pretty prominent in the in the Sydney business scene. So First business, which we're going to walk through the whole process, all the highs and lows of the journey, which which I love. Wink Models, again, one of the most famous agencies in, in Australia. A lot of you, if you have brands, you would have worked with, with some of their talent over the years. Then a, a brand or a platform that I know a lot of you would have heard about, The Right Fit, if you're in anything like MySpace, in, in e-com, you, or, or an influencer content creator, you, you've definitely heard of that. My partner's used The Right Fit for, for, for a couple of years now. That business, after about seven years, recently exited, which is an amazing achievement. We'll talk about that process. And I kind of want to get into like, not only the like, okay, how do you sell a business process, but like mentally what it feels like to go through that and and everything. And then the latest business, which I think as a brand owner makes so much sense, Hash Gifted, which is like an awesome UGC gifting kind of platform for brands and content creators to connect. But um, yeah, thank you for coming in. I'm, I'm really excited. I've done my research, as I was saying to unpack you and, and your life story with, with business a little bit more. But as I said, yeah, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And fantastic intro. Nailed it all in one. Nailed it. There we go. <laughs> Honestly, I've, I've, had a, I've had a bit of a, um, a couple hiccups like pronouncing names and I usually pride myself on that. So when I saw Taryn Williams, I'm like, sweet. I'm not going to mess this, this on yeah, But I said it and then an I'm like, her, na- her name, her last name's Williams, right? I had to look at my notes. I'm like, fuck yes. All right. So to talk about your journey, as I said, you've, you've had three businesses that have kind of from my eye, very much evolved logically one after the other, how you would get into that. But I don't want to spend too much time because you've got so much context of the actual business stuff, but I like to going back and kind of get to know like the foundations of the entrepreneur, what you were like as a child, where this drive comes from. For you, I know it started off with modeling and then you saw some areas of opportunity to, to do better. But for you, where would you say like this drive comes from? Are you one of those kids that was always kind of business minded or how do you think that came about and presented in your life? I think I was just really stubborn as a kid is what my parents would say. I was really stubborn. I really wanted to do things my own way. I didn't really like rules. I was like a super nerd at school and wanted to like do really well at school, but I also had to question like, why is it done this way? And why can't I do it that way? Um, and then probably my late teens, early twenties, being in the modeling industry, I was surrounded by a lot of entrepreneurs. I didn't realize that at the time. Also, that wasn't a thing back then. Like I'm nearly, I'm 38. Like 
wasn't – there were small business owners or like, yes. you know, freelancers or whatever. People weren't entrepreneurs. I wasn't like a scene um, like it is now. So Very much is now, yeah. Yeah. Sure. And so there was just a lot of people that I was around that had their own small businesses or who were, you know, amazing photographers or makeup artists or whatever. So they were operating independently in their own small businesses. And so I wasn't coming from this world where everyone had nine-to-five jobs and – or my peer group and friends. And so it wasn't like, oh my God, I've got to quit my like really established career and go do this thing. It was kind of like, oh yeah, I'm going to, you know, take, you know, going from being a full-time model to starting my own modeling agency. It wasn't as much of a risk, I guess, for me mentally. And it's interesting that you say that as well. It just goes to point back to that, like saying or whatever. It's like, it's so easy for you to see that being surrounded by people mm-hmm. that have that. But if, if someone's come from a, a, a life where their parents work stable corporate jobs and they've moved straight from uni into that, it can be very different, difficult to break that cycle. And it does appear like a massive risk, but it just again shows like another example, like the people you surround yourself with are going to rub off on you very 100%. easily. You know what I mean? So what, what stands out from, from your kind of thought process and I've trying to like get into like the thought process of people. It's like, and, and you speak about this openly, you're very like, you see a problem and you want to solve it yeah. via whatever different means. Obviously tech is is how you've been able to solve a lot, but as a model in the industry, 21 years old, you would have seen things that you're like, I, why is it like this? Like you're mm-hmm. going back to school. I, I feel like there's a better way to do this. Talk to me about from being a model, what motivated you to like, say I can do this better or I can do this in my own way. What was the problem you wanted to solve? What were your kind of gripes with the industry? And then how do you go from idea to like, okay, how do I actually start this thing? Yeah, there was definitely that blissful naivety of youth of being like, oh, I can just change things. Like it's not that hard. I didn't know anything about managing cash flow or like any of those things. So I was like, well, it makes no sense. Why, why do models have to wait 90 days after a job to get paid? That's dumb. No other industry has that. I'll just start an agency and pay them within seven days. Like yep. clearly, like I'm sure if I was older, I would have been like, well, no, that's really challenging. Like clients are going to be on day-to-day mm-hmm. payment terms and you're going to have to manage cash flow and how's that going to work? And so I was like, no, I'm just going to do it. Like the that really like having so much self-confidence because you haven't been through life and like skinned your knees and had all of the pain points of running a business yet. So you got that blissful naivety. And I guess that really like stubborn, headstrong streak that I'd always had that I was like, this can be done better. It should be done better. There's no logical reason why it's done this way that I can see that it doesn't benefit either side. So let's just change it. So for me, it was definitely around the pain points around payments were were probably the the foremost one, but also just how both parties treated each other in the transaction. So models didn't have awesome relationships with their agents. The agents didn't have awesome relationships with clients. It was all really combative. There was no visibility and transparency for either party. It was kind of like this really strong gatekeeper relationship. And look, I understand that for why it was sort of that way for a particular reason, but no one in that transaction was thriving. The models didn't feel like great. I really know what's happening in my career. I know how I can add value. I can see, you know, what I'm being pitched for and I can proactively try and, you know, benefit the transaction. And for clients, they were like, okay, I've got this particular budget. Agencies would be like, no, you can't have, you know, there was no visibility to who actually they had access to. So I did, to me, it all just seemed really super simple to solve. So like very outdated methodology that was just, it's that way because that's how it's been. Always been done. Yeah. That's where like the best innovations come from, from just sometimes it takes someone with a slightly different perspective to look at it with fresh eyes. And like you said, that, you know, youthful naivety where you don't realize how hard everything's going to be. And it's like, even for me, I've only been in business properly say six years and it's like, I see so much more now that that, that I didn't see at the beginning. It's like, if I knew all these things, you'd hope you would have done it anyway, but it helps so much to be able to have that. 
And like, when you don't know. Yeah. But also I feel like you would probably be similar to me and kind of, you know, that stubborn kind of stubbornness within you always question. Yeah. But why, um, was it, were you the type of person that always like, you couldn't really be told you had to like learn a lesson for yourself. Oh and my like, gosh. Yes. My yeah. parents will tell you, like I got married when I was like 22 or something, my first marriage. And I, I said to my parents afterwards, I was like, who lets the child get married? <laughs> like, like I was, a, I was like literally a child still. Like I had no idea. And they were like, you weren't going to listen to us. You ha- we just had to let you go and learn that the hard way. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, I reflect on it. I'm like, oh, you're probably right. If they had said, I don't think this is a good idea. There's no way you would have I would, I would have just stubbornly done it anyway. And that's so. the thing, like at 22, when you're 22, you feel like you're this fully developed oh. adult. You understand everything. <laughs> totally. And it's like, yeah. wow, when you actually go through life and I'm speaking like I'm, I'm, I'm almost 30 soon, like a couple <laughs> Look more Look at weeks. you, such a grown-up. I know, such a grown-up. <laughs> so I feel like once you hit the big three, I can start to give these sort of like yeah, wise life, old life advice, advice to everyone. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's definitely going to come. But so Wink Models, right? You, you, you saw some things that you saw you could do better, particularly with like the relationship aspect from like all mm. parties, how that works together, the payment terms. So when you go to launch, this is like, how long ago was like you started Wink Models? What year would that have been? 17 years ago. So wow. So yeah, like I'm not before gonna, I'm not social media, yeah. even like all that stuff, how do you start a business back then? What's the process like? Office phone. Wow. I used to love my office phone. So I had to have like a full handset, my Blackberry. I had, oh, a, pa- I had a Palm it. Pilot. Like I'm old. I wish I could have Blackberry. <laughs> they were amazing. So Blackberry, laptop, that was it. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, making a website was super expensive though. Like I reckon our first website, which like now is like a basic like WordPress website, was still like probably 50 grand or something to just wow. like, you know, it wasn't just like you can get a quick Wix template or something and, and whack it together. Like, no. Um, yeah, so basic website, desk phone. So you've got, obviously you've got like relationships with models. Like what's the first thing you do? Do you try and like build out like a portfolio of models underneath you or do you try and find brands to partner with? How do you kind of navigate through that? Yeah, I was really like, I had a little black book of contacts from my own days in the industry and clients who I'd built this really great relationship with personally, who would always call me anyway and say like, Hey, do you know a male model? Or do you know a brunette? Or, you know, we're looking this for this kind of person. And so I'd always kind of be making these informal connections and recommendations anyway. So I had a lot of like really great client side relationships. And then obviously you meet so many other models being out and being on set and doing jobs and and so I'd sort of built trust, I guess, on both sides. When, so when I was like, look, I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to start my own agency. It was super risky, right, mm. for my, for me as well because I was still in the industry, um, going, hey, I'm going to go and do this thing. Will you allow me to put you forward, you know, informally or formally to brands? And and brands like, hey, would you be interested in working with me if I can pull these people together? And thankfully they had enough trust that, you know, I delivered for them in the past. They could see how what I was trying to build, they really understood the value of and that, if I could get this to work, if I could really deliver for them models who were being treated amazingly, who got paid on time because it didn't change the payment terms of the client. They were still paying in 90 days or whatever, but I would bankroll that payment. So they had all of these amazing models who were willing to go above and beyond, mm-hmm. do a job at the last minute, you know, or cancel their plans to be available because they're like, great, I'm going to get paid next week. Like yep. That's unheard of in the industry. So it meant that we got to build these amazing relationships with our talent and deliver that for clients who normally would have had to go through like a pretty combative relationship with an agency. So, so. how do you, how do you actually, cause like, again, you said you, you probably didn't have the business experience to mm. identify how difficult or 
maybe there's a reason why people like agencies pay, you know, with these sorts of terms. How did you navigate that? Did you take on investment? Did you fund it? You grow really slowly and just pay what you could. Like yeah. how did you navigate that I fun- payment? Yeah, plan? I funded the whole thing myself. I yeah. just didn't take a salary for the mm-hmm. first few years yeah. and reinvested everything back into the business and just hustled. Like yes. I remember being on Google and going like literally the first 10 pages of Google, Googling photographers. And this is back before there was any sort of like decent ranking mm-hmm. on these things. Like, finding photographers that had a website and get like cold calling and being like, I've started this agency. Can I send you some models? What's your email address? Going through and just manually doing outreach and hustling for the first like, yeah, two years. And I guess that's kind of like, like you said, 17 years ago, you started an agency. I imagine it was a bit more of a big deal back then. Like nowadays, you know, yeah. everyone starts an agency, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? How it is same as with e-com. And so yeah. it's like the barrier to entry is so low. So it brings more people yeah. in, but it's like less people were doing that back then. So it's like, if you take the risk to back yourself and you put the work in, it kind of does set you up for like an opportunity to express yourself and, and whether it's a, a success or a failure. But I want to ask you, cause we're going to go through your whole journey and, and I kind of want to pick out different things from, from each business. But you mentioned you went in this with this youth, youthful, you know, naivety and exuberance. You didn't have those, those negative experiences or lessons to, to, to grow on. When was the first, what was the big moment? Like the first moment you could think of where you had one of those, Oh shit, I fell over and scraped my knees in, in metaphorically in terms of a business sense. What was that first like punch in the teeth? You're like, fuck, this is what business is really like. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, definitely like having probably the first really combative client where nothing you did was good enough. Like didn't matter if we over delivered, didn't matter if the models were amazing. They were just going to find some way to try and fuck you on a deal. And they were really looking for, you know, ways to just get out of paying invoices or, and I was so young and I took it so personally. Like you're like, but wait, like, you know, we're, we're really trying to deliver something here. And, you know, I was coming from this place of really building a business based on values and having to learn the hard way that not everyone operates in business that, that way. And and now it's so much easier to take a step back and go like, you know, $2,000 here or so, you know, at the time you're like, oh my God, that's insurmountable. Like, how am I going to afford to pay this model if this client's not going to pay their $3,000 invoice? And now you come to learn, you can sort of identify it a lot quicker in the piece. And you're like, this client's going to be really hard to work with. And it's probably better to walk away than. When, at what point does your, and obviously I'm, I'm sure it's still, it's a continual process, but at what point does your skin start to thicken to the point where you realize I can't take this shit personally? Or like I can't yeah. let it bother me emotionally. Yeah. Right? Oh, and I see it, especially like with some of the staff in my business, you know, when they, especially when they come into this industry, you, you do take it really personally, right? Because you care and you're working with humans at the end of the day and you want to, you know, you want everyone to have a good outcome. And I think you come in, I genuinely believe most human beings are good and they care about the outcome of the career that they take on, whatever sort of career that is. And so t- having any sort of negative interaction with someone can be really destabilizing and can really upset you. And I know you go to sleep at night staring at the ceiling what could I have done differently in that interaction? Like how could I have better problem solve that? And I think for me it was, you know, having enough of those interactions to be able to go, okay, there's usually in most people's lives there's just a lot of other stuff going on and you don't know what it is, you know, whether they're going through a divorce, whether they've got sick kids at home, whether they're, whether their business is struggling, whatever it might be, and you just can't make it about you. You know, you yeah. do the best you can operating and delivering in the things that you know to be true um, and trying to do a great job and then just not, not taking the other stuff on. Yeah. So like dealing with that and like, and I've spoken a lot about it. it it's, it's quite like with your industry, particularly with modeling as a model and as an agency, like there's a lot of uncertainty. Like mm. you said, like, it's not, it's not like every month, this amount of money comes yeah. in, this amount of jobs come up. It's very, can be up and down each, each month. How did you, because this is something with, with business that I particularly like the younger kind of the, you know, yeah. early mid twenties that I say come through in business, like, 
getting comfortable with the uncomfortable and realizing that, no, this is business. Like it's mad and like yeah. sweet. You can travel. If, you, if you're successful, you can hire people. You can kind of work the hours you want on your terms. You're going to have to work hard. But it's like when things get uncomfortable, a lot of people want to run away. Yeah. How did you get comfortable with that? It wasn't something for me that was super quick. It's like it took a couple of years to really get comfortable with being uncomfortable and realizing yeah. that's business. How did you navigate that mentally, internally? It was about learning the levers that I had to pull. Once I felt like I was in control of things, then I felt more okay with going, okay, I don't know if we're going to have a bad month, for example. I don't know what sales going to look like, but I can see at these inflection points, if I start seeing these kind of trends, I know I can reduce spend in these areas you know, yes, I yeah. or I can increase marketing spend on these channels or whatever. So once I knew, okay, these are the things that I can do, these are the levers that I've got to pull, even if I can't be in control of sort of the the um, the things that lead up to having to pull those, at least I know I've got control once I start to recognise them. And I think that's really powerful. I think feeling like you're, you've got control again when you're out of control, mm-hmm. I think helps make things a little bit easier. A thousand but. percent. As soon as you started speaking about that, I could think of a couple of times in business where it's like, yeah, like you said, you can't always control the the variables. Like yeah. you can do as much as you can, but it's like there've been a couple of moments I think, think back to, and it's exactly what you said, where it's like, whatever reason, I'm not really an anxious person. I've been very lucky with that, but there'll be a couple of moments with business where for whatever reason, one little thing will happen and it'll just trigger this anxious yeah. feeling. I'm like, fuck, like, I don't feel good. I f- you, you always you always feel like you're not doing enough in business, oh, but then so it's like, true. okay, let me map it out if it works well and if it doesn't. And yeah. if you have a plan in place and things to fall back on and what you're going to do if you hit this point, I feel like I can't control the rest. But if I've done that and if you've done that, my head hits the pillow, I can yeah. sleep well at night. Couldn't agree more. And you know? like with the right fit, we had you know super complex financial models of all different types of scenarios. And so I'd be able to sit down and go, okay, you know, COVID's happened or, okay, what's it going to look like if, if I do want to put boots on the ground in a new market and I want to launch internationally, I could go through and I could build out, okay, I'm going to need this much money for an office. I'm going to need to put in these many headcounts over these many months and blah, blah, blah. And I could see, okay, well, that's going to burn this much mm-hmm. money per month. And so then you're really able to go, am I willing to take on that risk? Yes or no? Or what if I just reduce the spend here? What if we don't get an office yet? So then you really feel like, okay, I'm, everyone's got different risk appetites and mine's pretty high, but there is a point where you go like, oh, I remember like after we'd raise capital and you know, some months would be burning like 150 grand a month. And I'd be like, you know, <laughs> like this that. is, yeah, this is so much money. And I've got, you know, we've raised a finite amount of money. So I've got finite amount of time to prove this idea out. And you can't go to your team and be like, hot tip, like we run out of money in nine months time. Like it's, you kind of got to carry that on your yeah, own. So, yeah. yeah. So building on from your journey. So you, you've started Wink Models. So that was 17 years ago going back. At what point in your journey do, because you kind of step away, like you're still involved with yeah. it, but what point do you make the decision that I need to go and chase another opportunity and and, and how does the right fit, like how does Wink Models yeah. start to transition into what would become the right fit? I know there was a about a $500,000 yeah, build for an build. app or something. Yeah. If you could kind of paint <laughs> that picture for us. Yeah, like totally no idea about building tech products. And again, it's like a super long time ago. So it's not like you could just go and find like an app development agency. I was like, go and get three competitive quotes from agencies that build tech products. And no one, there was no freelance developers or anything like that. You had to go yeah. to like a big clunky old school agencies. So I found a company that built fly-in, fly-out software for miners and people were like, well, how is that fucking relevant to your industry? I was like, no, no, it's actually really relevant. Like I needed something that could categorize people by different types of skills. So hair color, shoe size, dress size, all of those things. 
which is very similar to like, what sort of licenses do you have in mining and where are you based? And, you know, so I was like, if I can build a platform like that, that can check availability and then schedule them on different shifts, pay them different rates based on different shift times, log it all into zero so we can obviously process it. So models are all employees, so process all the tax and super and everything like that. And then also keep all of their details up to date. So their sizing and their photos and blah, blah, blah. So I just built this bigger than Ben-Hur piece yeah, of software because yeah, yeah. I had no idea. And they must have just been like watching the dollar signs rolling because I was like, oh, I want that That's button. The, yeah. And I'm, oh, I should totally add whether or not they can like do ice hockey or whatever. Like just if any client had ever once asked for it, I was like, I'm building it. it I'm in. adding it in. Like yep. it's so important that we have that. Like no idea about an MVP. So I built this product. It nearly killed me. It was so painful getting to the point of like driving to this agency and like sitting in their offices, just like trying to get the last like six weeks mm-hmm. worth of work done being like, Fuck, this is so over budget, so over time. Um, but I learned so much, obviously it was like a ba- massive mm-hmm. baptism of fire. So this was just developed for you guys to run internally. Yeah, right? internally. Yeah. And it was sort of one of those scenarios of once I'd started, like you can't stop, right? Like you, mm-hmm. Otherwise it's once, just completely once you, you know, sunk, yeah, exactly. 150 grand. Like what are you going to do? Like fucking pull it out. So, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, we'll just get it done. And then I was going to white label it and sell it to other agencies before I realized like agencies have no money. That's a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they can't even pay their talent on time, it's not really great. So got to the end of that um, and was like, shit, what I should have done is just remove the need for the agency in the middle because essentially it was posting a job mm-hmm. and going out to all the models to see who was available and booking them in. And it was just around the time like Air Tasker and Freelancer and all of those businesses were launching. So I went to see a few of our clients and I was like, look, if I built something like this, this is how I'm sort of envisioning it and, you know, kind of mapped it out and did some basic wireframes. Would you use it or do you really need an agency? Like do you need an agency to tell you how much to pay? Do you need an agency to recommend people? Like how confident are you doing it on your own? Like how much value do we add in the transaction? And all of our clients were really great. They were like, look, don't get me wrong. Love you. Love your agency. Mm-hmm. But like, we would totally use that. Like the sure. whole process is so broken. It's super painful. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's, we would love to just be able to see who's available from all the agencies. So, um, yeah, that's where the idea came from. And I started just wireframing it out and hired a developer, learned the hard way, built it internally. And I actually went up raising capital because I went to see, um, a venture capital, um, a friend of a friend basically to say, at what point do you recommend people leave their jobs? Because I'd never had a job the first time Mm -hmm. to go and leave. And I was like, I've got this agency that's like doing really well and super profitable, amazing clients, amazing talent. Like, should I leave that? That seems like a bad idea. Like it's a business that's doing really well. And I also had this like total idea that I was, there was so much key man dependency. Like if I leave, the whole thing's going to fall over. Like everyone will just leave. It's all about the Taryn Williams show. Totally was not. Like no, <laughs> no one gave a shit. They were fine. But it's better that it's not, right? Oh my everyone, God, so like, much better. Everyone, like, fuck the ego. Like yes. if you can have a business operate without you, that's the dream. Totally, totally. She was like, always I'm like, why can't I have a product-based business anyway? Another, yeah, another yeah. challenge. But um, so yeah, I went to see them. And I was like, look, at what point, like, what do you look for? What sort of inflection points should I be looking mm. for with this thing before I decide to call it a day on that? And they were like, yeah, it's a great idea. You should definitely do it. There's definitely a place in the market for it. We'll back it. Like, mm-hmm. go do it. And I was like, I guess that's the answer. So, yeah, I um, left Wink and put in a G. And it was literally no handover because we were you know, busy. We'd raise this capital. Mm-hmm. And one of the contingencies on raising that money was that I have to go and do this full time. Get started straight and, away. Well, and much. I also couldn't have a non-compete and non-solicitation because they're such similar, similar. businesses. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, mm, how are we going to carve this out in a term sheet? so that you don't just go, wow, it's really hard building this thing. I'm just going to go back to that business over there that was like super easy. 
So they're like, you got to work full time in this business. And I had a pretty like tight employment contract that was like, you must not touch the other business during this time. So I was like, got to go guys. Like left them, no handover. Was that an emotional experience for you? Was it it like 10 years with WeCommerce by that point? Yeah. Yeah. And it was really hard because it was my first baby. Like I loved it. And I had such close relationships with our talent and with our clients and my team. And, and I like, I could do it with my eyes closed. I loved it. Like I really, you know, I knew it like, the, you know, back of my hand. And I was really excited about going and, you know, doing something new and challenging that would stretch me. But there's also like the safety of the thing. For sure, you know? right? So, like the, the comfort of of knowing kind of everything there is to know and totally. knowing that you're a boss at it and you can yeah. handle everything. It's yeah. difficult to take yourself out of that. You know what I mean? But oh, like, and there were so many moments where I look back and I was like, why did I do this? Yeah. Like that was a dumb idea. Like yeah. I could just be in my nice cozy you know, job over there. But, um, yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. I, there's so much that I learned through the TRF journey and, you know, I, I'm so grateful that I made that decision now, but at the time it was so challenging because I also really believed that that business was going to fold, mm. that we were going to cannibalize that business. I was going to bleed it dry, sinking all of the money into TRF. Yeah. And, um, and so that I would end up with, you know, no, no business there at all. So, so you, you mentioned kind of when you were looking at, okay, is it kind of the right time for a new opportunity? Mm. The business is at this point, it's doing really well. That like element of financial literacy, where do you learn that? Cause it's not really taught really realistically to a lot of people that got to learn it on the fly. I wasn't a very analytical person coming into it. I'm not sure about you, but how did you get that kind of experience to be able to look at how business performing a P&L just to look at cash flow shit, like, and be able to identify what you need to know and understand. Yeah. At least I had the basics from Wink. Like I did mm-hmm. understand how to read a P&L, make some basic budgets, sort of understand the levers in that bit, even though it was like, we weren't even doing digital marketing in the first of three years, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't anywhere to advertise. So it was pretty easy to control yeah, that business. Yeah, yeah. Um, and But at least I could sort of do basic budgeting based on staff levels and and seasonality and things like that. So I had that kind of basic idea, mm-hmm. but I'd never built a business that wasn't profitable. Like Wink was profitable from day one and it grew organically. So this was a totally different, you know, one, it was a tech product. Yeah. Two, it was not going to be profitable for a long time. We're going to have to go and raise venture capital. And then it had so many different levers because it was a two-sided marketplace. So we were investing and growing both sides of the marketplace and we had to calculate like how, obviously how many jobs, very similar to econ, how many jobs per month are people going to post? What's the conversion rate on those jobs? You know, what's the lifetime value? Like all of those things, which I'd never done before. So there was definitely, at least I had some of the basic financials, but I so wish it's things that they taught you in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had to, yeah, really learn all of the, the ability to build, build a cohort analysis and all of those yeah. things like, purely by reading a lot. I went and did every course under the sun that I could. Like I did so many general assembly courses. And mm-hmm. There also was kind of a bit before there was a lot of free online resources, yeah, yeah, yeah. whereas now like you can obviously find go anything. on YouTube, and even TikTok and like find amazing, <laughs> you know, information on how to do a back of the envelope budget. And I asked so many favors. Like I look back now, I cringe on like some of the things that I would hit people up with on LinkedIn. I'd be like, I don't know how to do this thing. Can you help me with this thing? How do I pick which payment gateway I'm going to use? Like I've got it down to these three. What's the difference? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like if you don't ask, the answer is always like no, you know yeah. what I mean? And like so many people get stuck in the anxiety of not wanting to be rejected or not responded yeah. to and they don't, you just never know. A hundred percent. And I really think that people want to help others. Like For people sure. ask me stuff all the time now and I'm like, oh, like this is the reason we did this and like, you know, really be wary of that. Like we thought this was going to be a great platform. Totally mm. sucks. Shouldn't have done it that way. 
All right, guys, just quickly, I've got some news. I've spent close to the past 18 months building the ultimate program that takes you through the complete process, and I mean the complete process of launching and scaling your very own e-commerce brand from zero all the way up to a million dollars plus per year. And now with this program, what you're going to get access to is 15 modules with over 100 training videos and 23 hours of in-depth content, taking you through everything you need to know to build a successful e-com brand. And this is the important part. This isn't just stuff that you can look up on YouTube. This is stuff I've taken from real lessons and experiences building Happy Skin Co. from zero all the way up to an eight-figure per year brand. You're going to get access to loads of custom tools, templates, and calculators that I've used to build and run Happy Skin Co. There's going to be one-on-one mentoring with myself and other expert coaches, and there's also weekly group Q&A calls with myself to make sure you're feeling completely supported throughout the entire process. And now what I've learned from consulting to everyone from people starting their very first e-commerce brand all the way up to brands already doing seven figures plus per year is that there's a process and a framework to follow if you want to be successful with e-com. Now, if this is something you're interested in, hit the link below and go to join.viralbrandbuilder.com. All the information's there and you can book a call directly with me. Otherwise, send me a DM and we can chat there. Anyway, let's get back to the pod. So like on, on that like wink kind of journey, right? What if, I know it's so hard and looking mm. back, it's like there's so many things, but what do you feel like looking back was the main lesson you took from that, that wink experience when you were living and breathing it day in, day out? I think the importance of relationships. Like I was very focused on being an extension of our clients team and like being not, not like when I say being on their side, it wasn't like being on their side versus a model side or whatever. It was very much being like everyone can win in this transaction and that it shouldn't be combative. Let's build really strong relationships where you feel comfortable to call me and say, you know what, the job's not going ahead and tell me the real reason, not like, oh, weather call or whatever. Like being able to call me and say, actually, we went with a model from this other agency because, you know, they gave us better rates than you or whatever. You build those really strong relationships like with anyone in your sort of ecosystem, whether it's your team or clients or the information that you get is so, so valuable. And the number of people who have on both sides have gone on to champion my future projects or whatever because they knew that they could call me on a Sunday night and be like, I fucked up. I thought, you know, I booked a model for a job on Monday and said on Tuesday, I, it was a total mistake. I've got no good excuse. Can you do me a solid and help me out? You know, and I'd be like, yes. Yeah, like, yeah. So they knew that, you know, so I spent a lot of time sort of fostering those deep relationships and connections. And I think if nothing else, um, it's uh, I still, for TRF, I did the first and last hour of customer service for the entirety of that business. Wow. Um, hash gifted. I do customer service on the weekends. I love I want to touch everything. I want to be across, like you can build that really deep relationship with mm-hmm. people and understand their pain points and their needs. So beneficial. So th- that build with TRF, um, how long is it before, okay, you've agreed, you've signed, you've, you realize you've got to stop working at Wing straight yeah. away. They want you full time. What does that process look like? A lot of people will have all these big dreams. I want to make this app. I've got this really yeah. cool idea and, and awesome. Like I always encourage people to chase their dreams, but like e-com is one thing that there's probably a lot more involved more technical things and people realize, and it's not always as easy as it seems, but building anything in tech is like 10 times even more. Yeah. What does that process look like? How long is it from like you signed on to like, you've got something to go to market with? Oh, I mean, I genuinely thought that like we would just build the website once and then it would be done. And I was like, I'll need like one developer. (laughs) Like jokes on me. We ended up with like, I don't know, 15 developers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't get less developers. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it was, we probably, probably the first build took, for about eight months and then 
we launched and I always joke, like we were doing so many things that don't scale. It was like a form you filled in, came to us. We then created a job in the marketplace and emailed it out to talent. So we, we really like, I wanted to make sure that we had a proper proof of concept first. And this is something that people were going to use and come and sign up and that talent would sign up and create profiles before we went and built like this epic, you know, payment system and all, yeah, and detailed matching algorithms and, you know, all of that stuff. I was like, let's just make it super simple, get a proof of concept that people will come to the website, post a job with the confidence that the magic machine in the background is going to make make all the magic happen and that they're actually going to transact with a credit card online to pay for their talent Um, because we would hold the funds in escrow before the job Mm -hmm. happened. I was like, I need to understand, like, will people actually do that? Will they pay in advance essentially? Were there any early hiccups that you weren't expecting that came up? Not so much with the tech bill, but like with when you've gone live to like the marketplace, was there anything you're like, oh shit, sort of should have thought of that or that's actually a really great so idea? So many things, like especially with um, the social media integrations, like bec- uh, yeah, because yeah. things that are outside of your control, right? Third party stuff where they're like, oh, you know, terms and conditions update, you can't integrate <laughs> with this anymore. Or like, yeah. you know, so you're like, oh great. Like you wake up one day and you're like, our socials is for every, you know, for 14,000 talent are disconnected. Like, fuck, what do we do about that? Yeah. Like, so it's so many things like that that were just really painful that you can't for, foresee happening um, that can just wipe out, you know, two weeks of your product roadmap. What, like, what do you think was the biggest challenge you overcome, like, with the right fit? Because, yeah, things like that, like, we've worked with platforms and then like, you lose the inter- Instagram, like, my, yeah. like, like, and just, like, it goes to shit and, like, we got to go because there's literally no point us working with you at the moment. Yeah. What was, like, the biggest thing that you had to overcome while you were while you're at the right fit, do you think? Oh, there's some pretty chunky ones. Like, building – we have a pretty complex, um, like, customised communications flow because, as you can imagine, there's so many different touch points. Like, yeah. a talent signs up but their profile's in draft or it's been submitted but not yet accepted or they've applied for a job but they haven't yet been booked or they've withdrawn. Like, there's so many complexities – and same for a client, like, and then all your reactivation flow, like mm. they haven't, they've booked talent before, so they don't need that flow, but they do need a reactivation flow or they haven't booked in 90 days and their job's open, but they have messaged. Like it's a, it was a pretty complex base. That was really mind numbing mm. because it's just mapping out so many different flows and then obviously making sure people don't end up in multiple flows at the same time. And that was really painful and a really big piece of work um, that I really just, thoroughly did not enjoy and like wouldn't, uh, you know, having to do it again for gifted has been like, yeah. um, has it been easier the second time? At least I know what I'm looking for mm-hmm. this time. At least I know, like yeah. I've got a pretty clear idea of like at least what all of the journeys need to be yeah. um, as opposed to the first time I was like, mm-hmm. okay, let's go through every single state that, you know, a, a job can be in, a profile can be in. So is that your, ro- can be your role to map everything out and then it's up to the engineers to and developers to actually build it? So no, I have one. a product manager okay, and yeah. they will go through and sort of do the bare bones mm-hmm. of that. But most of the knowledge is in my head. Mm. Of So they obviously know how the system works um, and they can go, okay, there could be profiles incomplete and whatever, but we'll definitely whiteboard it all together and then so go, okay, what does that? What I want to ask is like you, you probably by the time you get to the end of the wing, journey or like that yeah. version of the wing. You know, the modeling industry inside yeah. and out, right. But as a non-technical founder moving into this, you know, space, that's very technical yes. and there's a lot of development going on. How do you educate yourself to be able to at least have the conversations with the developers and engineers and hold your own and be able to grasp what, what needs to be grasped to move, to move the business forward? Yeah. And honestly, it came from a cold LinkedIn message that I'd reached out to someone who was a CIO at like a massive Australian company. And I was like, 
I need to, but it was honestly about payment gateways. I was like, I have these three options. Like, which one did you choose? Should I use like PayPal seems better for this, but Stripe seems, I like that it's a, you know, white labeled interface and blah, blah, blah. And we had a, um, I came out to see him for coffee, mapped it all, you know, this is what I'm trying to do. And he was like, how are you going to build an engineering team? Like, how are you? And I was like, don't know, I haven't haven't figured that out yet. (laughs) And he's like, okay, like I'm willing to mentor you on this. Like I'm going to spend some time with you. Do you know the difference between a front-end engineer, back-end? I was like, yeah, just assume they all build all the things. Mm -hmm. So he's like, okay, right. So he was phenomenal and really mentored me for, I don't know, the first year and a half um, and would patiently like interview candidates for me. I'd be like, okay, I think these three are good. They would go and do like a, a literal code test and he would like review. I can't re- review the results, right? Like I'd have no fucking idea. I can see well, if they're going to be. Yeah, exactly. I can see if they're going to be a cultural fit, but I can't do much more than that. So, yeah, asking for help and favours, um, relying on people in your network and being like, look, can I ask, you know, a huge favour, can you get review this person's code test? Or how, how, do you, how do you go about that in your life? Obviously that's one example like a LinkedIn message and it kind of comes back to, if you don't ask, the answer's always no. But it's like a lot of people these days, like they've heard like the Gary V's of the world saying like, you know, find a mentor, learn from their models, like off what your version of success is, find people that have done similar things, learn from them. How, like, how have you been able to, obviously that's, that's the one example, like find mentors and like finding them is one thing, but actually getting them to give you their time is another like what's your advice around that? So, and it's amazing now the number of people who send me a message and are like, oh, can I pick up, can we go for coffee and pick your brains? And I'm like, about what? Yeah. Like come to me with a clear ask. Mm. And I look, I didn't know that I was doing this at the time, but I would always come with like, I've got these three specific questions. This is what I need to know. And I've done the research. Here's the pros and cons of each, but I don't understand why this one integrates this way, whatever. Please help me with these things. And they'd be like, you know, they could really add value. They knew what they were coming in for to be able to add value to and I was relentless. So, so I would come back, you know, whatever, three weeks later and be like, I've done these things as discussed and I've gone and done the course you recommended and I've bought the book and I've done this, this and this. Now could I have another meeting with you because I've done those three things. Like, yeah. Whereas a number of people now that, you know, reach out to me, I'll go for coffee with and they're sort of like, oh, I'm not really sure what I'm doing with my life mm. and I want to do this thing. I want to start a business. And I'm thinking, I'm like, well, what have you done? Like what are yep. the unit economics of that? Have you done a financial model? Where are you going to get the product from? What's how, how big is the industry? What's total addressable by how much? And they're like, mm, I don't know. I'm like, all of this you don't need me for. Like, I'm not, an e- especially in e commerce. I'm like, I don't know anything about e commerce, but I know <laughs> that you need to have a bit of an idea about these things. <laughs> yeah, 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 so for sure. I think, like, do your research, come on, don't waste their time. Yeah. And then close the loop, like, come back to them, and be like, these are the five things that I've done that we talked about. This is the impact. This is now where I'm stuck. You know, I've made it these this much further ahead. I'm stuck here now. Can yeah. I have help with these three things now? So I think, yeah, again, and I'm just always relate things back in my head to like my own experiences. The first thing, like get specific with, with what you actually want to help with. That's such a big thing. I'll get messages all the time. And I actually have another business where I, I mentor and coach people with, with e-commerce, but sometimes it's like, but also I'm not just here to like, you know, I've got a million things to do. Some be like, Oh, I've got a question for you. And some I'll, I'll respond and they'll just be like, so I want to start a business. What should I do? It's like, <laughs> Where do I go? Like it's respectfully, where do I go from that? But people be like, Hey, I'm building this business. This is the question I'm stuck with. What do you think about X, Y, Z? I'll reply every single time and I'm able to like give them a specific response. Otherwise it's just like, dude, like, you know, so I think that's a a massive thing actually like showing that you're not going to be a time waster, I think is another big thing. And now kind of picking backing off this like mentors thing. I know You've built a board of directors. Is it was that for uh, the right fit, or was that for for gifted? The right fit and gifted. So both. both. Yeah. So yep. talk to me about that process. I mean, it's nothing. It's something I've never done before. Yep. I don't really understand myself. 
what does that process look like? How do you, how do you do it? Are these people um, like volunteering their time? Are some of them getting equity? Talk to me about that because I feel like there's not a lot of people that have your experience that yeah. have gone and done that. So it's a mix of unpaid and paid um, and some people are paid cash only or some people are cash and equity or yep. equity only. Um, and they're usually from people that I've met during the process in some way. Obviously when you raise capital, people get a board position because they invest in your company. Yep. Obviously, ideally they add value because they have invested in your company. And Obviously you don't want to take money from dumb money. Well, mm-hmm. hopefully you don't have to. You take strategic money. So you're like, yes, please join my board because you're going to add so much value. But the, um, other people on my boards have come from people that I've met during the journey mm-hmm. who have added so much value whether or not they've sort of known it during the, the journey. So one, for example, was a company who didn't invest in the right fit but who um, was the head of M&A at this large media organisation. And every time I would go to see him, we're raising capital and I would like touch base, you know, once a quarter, I had this list of people that I would always keep in touch with and keep warm. And I'd go and see them with product updates or bring them a coffee or whatever it was and just like keep that relationship warm. And he would always have phenomenal advice on the back of that. You know, I'd come in, I'd give him this detailed pitch and update and whatever. And he'd come back with like, here's 15 things that you didn't think of, or here's how you should have thought about it this way, or I've seen this else in market or what are you doing about that? Or, you know, we've got this research on these trends. How are you going to address that? And so like purely like from being a super value add, I was like, I would love you to join our board. Like, would that be something that you're interested in? So um, usually, yeah, I'm looking for people like that or where I recognize we have a really like a big skill set gap in the business. So a data analyst, for example, or someone who's like really good, like a systems analyst kind of, you know, was always a, a big gap for us or, um, Obviously, we didn't need anyone with domain expertise. That was kind of like my background. I had that piece covered. But looking for like, are you? do you need a governance person? Like, do you need someone who's certainly not my skill set? <laughs> like, I'm like, you're probably like you. We move fast. Like, yeah. so someone to put some, you know, some some rules and regulations around the business and go, hey, like, have we got a privacy policy? Yeah. What are we doing about this? What's our cybersecurity plan? Like, mm-hmm. all of those things. Yeah, okay, I probably do need that. And what's the point you get to? And again, this is like pretty advanced stuff for, for, for most. But like, where do you get to the point? Because I like to... And this is like for people listening that have been like, okay, I'm obviously nowhere near the, the stage of getting a board of directors, but have it like an unofficial board of directors that you go totally. to advice for exactly how you explained yep. it. Different expertise in different areas that you may lack and like, you know, work on those relationships, make sure that you like, you're not wasting people's time and, and mm. you're adding very in your own ways. I do that as well. But in terms of when it comes to like an official board of directors, that's like, must be a pretty cool moment to realize, fuck, I'm at the stage where it's like, I think this is what I need to do in order to go to the next level. But what was that moment for you when you're like, I'm going to put together like an official board of directors? When we raised our first round of capital, um, we had to have one. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd put together an informal one before that, which I'm so glad we did because it put some robustness into the business. Mm-hmm. I still look back on like our first few board meetings and I was like, ta-da, <laughs> here's my fancy board report. Like I've done these things and they'd be like, this is not what we use this time for. <laughs> like, <laughs> a board meeting, like a board report is like part of, you know, the process. Yeah, but yeah. Assume that they've read that by the time they get to the table. The idea is that you're using that like two, three hour block mm-hmm. to like workshop problems. So yeah. you've got these, you know, five, six, seven smart people in the room. You've put together this really robust report and it would, it would be time consuming. There'd be times where I'd be like, kill me. I don't want to do this this month. Two days of like reporting and digging into the granularity and, but it's so good because you you identify things that you never would have because you would have just been like you keep running as an entrepreneur, yeah. right? Like you're like, got to do more, got to do more, got to do Instead of reflecting and being like, why do we have this problem with this particular metric here or this mm-hmm. deep dive? And then you have these, yeah, smart people in a room and they're like, 
they're seeing it from a completely different angle. So they're going actually like a number that you might be like, oh, that's really concerning. Like our, our churn rate is, you know, dropping here. Someone else comes in with a totally different view on that. And it's like, no, that's totally standard in, you know, this sort of seasonality. Or actually, I think you've just miscalculated here on have you thought about blah, blah, blah. Or they're going to like laser dive into something. It can be a distraction sometimes. And they're like la- laser diving into something that you're like, that's so not relevant to like the bigger picture. Like mm-hmm. you're missing the, you know, that our CAC has gone up by like whatever. Five cents is making no difference in the overall scheme of things. So, but it's so good to have because it, it puts you through your paces of going, shit, you know, it's the first week of the month. I've really got to go back through and yeah. dig out and populate that financial model and look at, okay, what decisions do I need to make over the next quarter based on what we've just achieved? It's interesting. Cause I was going to ask you, like, are there any cons with, with having one? Like you kind of mentioned one where it's like, oh, you know, I've got, so it's monthly is, is it or quarterly? It, it can't it depends. Can be, yeah. yeah. So, um, we would meet monthly, yep. um, at least for the first two years, mm-hmm. um, three years probably. And then we shifted to every second month. Yep. Most of the boards that I'm on now are every, well, probably quarterly, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. with some like ad hoc meetings in between, usually for um, particular like uh, committees. So like you might have a, like a finance audit and risk committee mm-hmm. or remenoms like remuneration and nominations, like hiring. Yep. You might have specific subcommittees for things, but yeah. So anywhere from sort of monthly to quarterly is sort of a good cadence. Yeah. And like to the, to that point that you mentioned, I think it's really good. And it kind of like links back to the, like, sometimes going slow is better because you go further and like, they're like, oh damn, like I've actually got a lot on. I've got to spend a day or two re- finalizing all these reports and going over things. But yeah. it's like, even though you might want to do these other fun, exciting, shiny yeah. things at the time, you doing that work, will, it's going to make you level up so much as an entrepreneur. 100%. And then you realize, fuck, so many people don't put enough emphasis on the financials and really understanding yeah. that side of the business. And it's such a weakness, such yeah. an Achilles heel with so many people, particularly in like e-com and creatives and agencies. Like if you're not that sort of person and you, and you don't have someone with really good financial expertise or, or experience around mm-hmm. you that you can trust, it can really become like, well, you just seen so many businesses die off the back of that lack of understanding yeah. and, and they don't realize until it's too late. So it's interesting you say that. Would you say there's any cons or it's just like the, the time? The time, the time and that it can be a distraction. Like if someone's, mm. so one of the things like we, we also have, a, usually have a product roadmap in your board report as well. Yep. So like these are the things that I'm, or like your sales pipeline and things like that. So sometimes, you know, in our product roadmap, you do have like a whole feature that gets moved from January to February. Uh, yeah. And like you very well know, like you're like, okay, well it got bumped because of this or it's actually not that. And it's all, you know, obviously partly is how you're communicating and managing your board and whether you need to have those conversations offline before you're sending that through. But sometimes it can be a massive distraction if someone is like, why is this feature late? Which is good, right? You do want someone like breathing down your neck being like, why, you know, are you not managing your engineering team correctly? Mm-hmm. Are you overestimating how many things you can push out in a development cycle. So, but it can be distracting, right? When you're like, I know, I know it's late. Like, so it is, you know, um, it can be, it's time consuming. It can be distracting. Um, and also you have to remember that they're across as much of your business as you give them visibility and transparency to. So it's a hundred percent your responsibility to make sure that they've got the information that they need to be able to add value. So if they're chiming in with like, oh, well, you know, this, you know, you're, your churn rates up or whatever. And you're like, that's not relevant yep. this month. 
why do they think it's relevant? It means you haven't provided them the right information. You haven't managed them well. Yeah, so yeah. makes sense. So it it's a long learning process for sure. of and how it, to get the most out of your board. And it helps with the accountability factor, regardless of mm. like how ambitious or disciplined someone is like, that's always going to help now kind of moving on to like the exit and the transition into, into your latest baby, which I can't wait to ask about that period where you start the exit process. Is that do you start that before you get the idea or do you get the idea and you're like, I want to go do this. I need to sort this out before I move forward. Yeah. So I had the idea for hash gifted God, probably three years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, I'd love to be able to put this thing out. And I'd started sort of just putting some notes together and thinking like, Oh, I think this could be a thing. And like, what could it look like? And is there an alignment? But obviously I was like mid growing this business still. And so there was clearly not the viability to be able to go and do two things, well, three things because it started wink like at the same time. And so I sort of started putting together a little bit of a proof of concept and um, we actually had people approach us about acquiring the right fit quite a few times. And so they sort of got to a point where I was like, right, we probably need to formalise a process and take this out to market. Um, One group had been super like persistent in approaching us and approaching us and chasing us down and we'd finally got to a place where I was like, okay, this I think this deal could make sense. Yep. And so then hiring an advisor and going out to market and actually like exploring what that could look like and, and who else might be interested in making a tender and whatever. Yeah. And that process, talk to me about, because you, you, you stepped away from Wink, but you didn't exit it. Like you didn't no, sell it to someone. No, so this is kind of like a different thing for totally you, different but it's also not your first business. So I don't know, is there less, sort of less of an emotional connection yeah. to it? But talk to me about like the mental process of going through that, like, is it enjoyable? Is it stressful? Are there sleepless nights? It's so stressful. It is hands down the most stressful thing that I've ever been through. And I don't think I considered that when I was going through the, pro- obviously you're like, yay, I'm going to sell my business. I get <laughs> lots of money and it's going to be like amazing. I'm going to just like sit on a beach forever. Like clearly you're not going to, Well, I mean, you might, but like I knew I was not that way inclined. Like I would clearly still going to keep working and have yeah. projects and whatever. Definitely de-risks your life and gives you the ability to make different decisions. But, um, I didn't, I, one, I didn't consider the emotional turmoil of giving up your, it is like your baby and you've put in so much of your time and energy and love into this thing. Um, and you're essentially like handing that over to someone that you don't really know very well. And you're, as much as you're like, cool, it's a, it's a business. You're like, I deeply care about my clients and I deeply care about my talent and I really care about my team. And those things are not always going to be aligned with what the best outcome is for you as the entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So there might be, in our case, certainly there was like other bidders who maybe were going to pay more for the business, but I was like, oh, you are not going to be the right cultural alignment for mm. our team. Uh, you, usually you're going to have to do a period of working with these people yes. as well. So you're like, oh, like how would that go? There's a huge risk in selling your business to someone. You usually have a, a clawback period or like KPIs and tranches of payment. So I know so many people who have been stuck in dysfunctional sales where they've had to walk away from the second payment because they're like, I literally cannot work here for another 12 months to get yeah. the second payment. And so it's it's having a lot of those really tough decisions of going, and which I didn't think about at all. I thought it was like pick the minimum number you're willing to sell the business for and the minimum terms. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I, I was like, I need, I won't do more than a 12-month handover. Um, and then, you know, you just go, great, happy days. Like anything from here is great. No, it's like, okay, what if someone's willing to pay you, you know, that number plus 25%, but it's half cash, half equity. Mm. Ugh, like It's never as if, simple as you yeah, want it to be, what right? if like, what if the second payment's not put in escrow and they're a big international group and you're like, 
am I really going to be able to sue someone in the US at second payment? Like, mm. like what's the, what risk am I, am I willing to wait, you know, and have sleepless nights for two years wondering if I'm going to get that second payment or, okay, what if the KPIs are that I could earn two and a half times the original payment if I hit these KPIs? Am I willing to, you know, kill myself and bust my ass for another 12 months to, you know, double my money? Like all of these things that you don't think about when you're, Originally just thinking, yeah, okay, cool. I'm going to sell my company. Who do, you, um, who do you go for for advice in those moments when you're, you know, playing all, all these options in your head? I couldn't have done it without our board. I was so lucky. Two people on my board were M&A. One was an ex-M&A advisor um, and one had been through probably 150 transactions in his life. Wow. And the So none, for them, they're a lot more comfortable. Oh, the they were like, like whatever. yeah, whatever. Like, you know, they've done this millions of times. They're, you know, no sleepless nights for them. <laughs> and so being able to go, okay, like I feel really uncomfortable with like this because like your sales, our, our final sale agreement is like 280 pages long, mm-hmm. right? So you're like, what about this clause? Like I feel really uncomfortable about like this one or like, you know, so having people that you could go. But uh, there were so many times as well that the board would be like, you have to decide what you're, what you're willing to accept here. Like mm. how comfortable you, are, are you with that level of risk? Like only you can know that at the end yeah. of the day. And you're like, so there's a lot of like, yeah, nights of cold, hard nights where you're going, okay, how do I feel about this? And it's, it's all done under pressure. It's not yeah, like you've intense got intense pressure, intense pressure. Like, you know, where there's like, we need an answer by five o'clock today. Or oh, so there's like, time yeah, frames on you. Massive wow. time frames. There's, um, you know, people who are like, we're going to get on a plane and fly down from Singapore. Mm. We're booking flights tomorrow. We need to know by five o'clock tomorrow. Uh, and and you know everyone, it's not that they're uh, it's not that they're aggressive, but it's an aggressive process. So is it this tactics or is this just the world? A lot of it yeah. is psychology on both sides, right? Mm. So um, it's kind of like a dating game where you you know you're trying to play a little bit hard to get, right? And you're like, I've got other options, and they're like, cool. Well, like if you don't take our offer or if you won't sign this exclusive term sheet, we're not going to. You know, when it, obviously they don't want to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees yeah, yeah, to yeah. find out that you're also dating well, someone else. So, you know, it's a lot from both sides. It's a lot of sort of psychological games and that whole idea of scarcity and like, okay, well, maybe we'll pull out, maybe we won't. You trying to maximise the outcome for yourself but also for your I have shareholders. So, like, mm-hmm. I've got to also do the right thing by shareholders. So there were certainly deals where I could get more a better financial outcome and better terms personally, but at the compromise of shareholders, mm-hmm. which is also like, how do you sleep at night? You yep. know, where do you sort of land on that? So you're making a series of really complex decisions every day under pressure. Also while you're operating the business. That's the hardest part. Like, how do you, how do you do that? Like I where, didn't, I, one, where do you find the time? But like, yeah. how do you navigate that? No one told me. And it's the mm. biggest thing that when people say to me, like, I'm thinking about selling my business, I'm like, it's a full-time job. Like if you've raised capital, I knew that that was a full-time job. And, you, you know, and you, when you're raising capital, you're like, i got to deliver these results. You're out there, you're pitching that you're going to hit these milestones. You can't be out pitching and then like missing your milestones every month. So in that, you're like pretty aware, okay, like it's going to take me two months to close this round. I've got to make sure that I've got, you know, enough marketing spend or, you know, boots on the ground to make sure I can still hit these things. When you're selling a business, you have no idea how long the process is going to take. Like ours took over nine months. So it's not a sprint. It's a fucking marathon. <laughs> and I didn't realize the intensity of the process. And there were some days where I would have six management presentations a day. And that's like an hour of mat- each time. So you go, you present full boardroom for an hour. So you've got transit in between, you're driving places. Then you get home and you've got 
all the list of follow-up questions that these people want. Like I want a cut of this data about this and whatever. Your team are all of a sudden like, why is Taryn out of the office all the time? Like actually like wearing nice clothes instead (laughs) of like activewear or whatever, driving all over the place and then coming back with all these requests of like cuts of data. So it's like, who do you let inside the tent? How do you manage those people? How do you make your team feel safe that, you know, this is going to be a really good outcome for that? My team all had equity, so it was a bit of an easier. Um, But like at what time do you bring these people in? And then you're like, great, now I sit down, I've got all of my job as a CEO to do. Like yeah. it was a nightmare. I didn't, I just did not think that through. What I should have done was backfilled my role and yeah, yeah. tried to have someone take over a lot of that responsibility. And I also say backfill as much of your personal life as you can as well. Like if there's any, I should have ordered like meal delivery for six months. I did in the end go out to like all my friends and family and just say like literally for the next six months, this is the most important thing that I have to do. Yeah. So like don't call me. I'm not coming to birthdays. I'm not coming to dinners. I'm not coming to functions. I'll call you when I'm through this. Like, just don't make me feel any more guilty about <laughs> another fucking thing that I've got to do. Yeah. So. Holy shit. Like, it's such an intense period. Yeah. Like, I knew that, but like hearing, it was like, yeah, like, how do you then, like, being a CEO is hard enough as yeah. itself to find the hours in the day to get everything done. Like, did you, like, did you have to, like, hand more stuff off? Like, is, is it like. It was, it was honestly, there were so many points where I was like, I, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. I actually don't know if I can go, get through another month, like, of, of running this process. Especially when it's sort of, um, you have these timeframes that you're working to. So you're like, okay, we, we need all of the offers in by X date. Yeah, yeah. And then it'll be like, two weeks before that, you'll get a group who are like, oh my God, we're super interested. I'm so sorry. We can't make a management presentation for 10 days because our CEO is on annual leave and, you know, and we're from Paris. And so we need to get our Paris team and our New York team or whatever all on a call. We can, and you're like, well, no, but that's past the deadline date, but you'd be an amazing buyer. Like, fuck, do I extend? Do I move? Like, so you've got all of these. So your time frame sort of keeps shifting, you know, like a week here, a week there. Um, and so it sort of becomes this really long process. Um, and at the same time, you're like, okay, I've really got to make sure I'm hitting all of these targets, that my team are in a really good place, that they feel really settled. There were so many points where I went. So I, we were supposed to close our process, I want to say it was like the start of October maybe, and I had so, so we should have like received final offers, you know, made decisions, signed final paperwork sort of two weeks after that. I signed. I ended up saying to our lawyers and our whole team, if we don't sign this by the time I get on the plane to fly to Europe for Christmas, 22nd of December, I'm pulling the whole thing. I'm going to close the company down. I'm walking away. And they were like, no, you won't. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think you understand. Like, I am not taking this into Christmas break. I'm not making all of our lawyers work through Christmas break. I'm not doing this. We have had ample time. We are getting, if they don't. And so I was literally in, I signed the paperwork in Dubai airport I'd flown, I'd got on, I'd uh, like sent out all our legal team. I was like, that's it. I'm taking off. So deals off, like yeah. go back to the buyers. And by the time I landed it, um, in Dubai on my way through. And just mentally, I'm that, sure you can't handle it anymore. By yeah. That point, I was right? like, that, yeah, I'm done. Like I was exhausted because you're working crazy long days and you're dealing with the stress of, you know, you're trying to make a big life decision that really has such a fundamental impact on everything that you can do next. Um, and the, uh, like, like you said, you don't know how long it's going to take the indefinite nature mm. of it. I feel like would, would cure It's like if someone says do a plank for a minute, or yeah, if they say, yeah. even if it's do a plank for five minutes, you know yeah. that it's going to end. Like you can kind of track, but it's like, when you don't know, it's like a three minute plank. If you don't know how long you're going for, yeah, yeah. it feel longer than a five minute plank. Totally, you know I mean? totally. So it's like that, um, that open-ended nature, I'm sure 
would would yeah be a bit of a mental fucker. Um, but so the process, are you free? Are you still in that last? Yes. Are you like no. How, so I finished in April. How did um, that feel? It was super weird. So saying goodbye to my team, I flew all of our team from all of the different locations all over the world to Bali to do a handover and say like final goodbye. A bit of an emotional farewell. It was so emotional, which I didn't expect it to be. And everyone like, so you, some of my team had been with me for like five years, like basically since day one. And and so they're like, I just want to tell you, you know, what this journey meant to me and how much, and I was like, <laughs> so it was like basically four days of crying and mm. And that's when it really started to feel real. And yeah. you're like, oh, my God, like there is actually going to be a finite end date where I'm a massive workaholic. So I was like, I didn't have an office. I was like, what do I do with my days? Like, I, I don't have <laughs> you know, so there was like this really weird sense of like, okay, shit, like, yes, I have, you know, you go from having 400 emails coming in every day to being like, no one really. Like just crickets, me. right? <laughs> so it was super strange. It definitely took some adjusting. I went overseas for a while, which was like a good sort of circuit break. Did you have like a per- period, no work at all before you started working on, on this? Or no, I was supposed pretty- to do a six month sabbatical was the original plan. And, um, it happened to be gifted was ready for launch, which was just a timing thing. Like it couldn't have been a worse time. In- and I could have, in theory, could have just been like, let's just wait and like yep. throw some more money at funding that for, you know, a longer period of time. But I was like, okay, look. It's ready to go. I have to be mindful. I have a team in that business as well who are like, come on, like, it's just because you're ready, yeah. like, just because you're like, mm. um, and then my GM at Wink resigned because she was moving to Canada. So I was like, oh, I need to come back and like, you Saw know, sort out. of, and then in true workaholic style, I was like, I'll just come back and touch a few things. And then I was like, oh, I'll just like <laughs> completely rebuild all of our systems and processes and like, you know. So I definitely got in and started touching stuff and got under everyone's feet. Did you like, was there any element of burnout yes. that you experienced and then yes. you still couldn't kind of like help yourself? Yes. To- and, I, <laughs> and I keep, I had a very honest chat with my gifted team this morning where I was like, guys, like this, I'm very aware. I can see, I'm much more self-aware now. So I can see how I show up at work and I could see it yesterday and I was like, like this is purely like a burnout. I can, I'm very, I can, I'm being reactive to something. And of course they don't have the full context to um, most, most of my team have a lot of visibility to like the full P and L KPIs and all of those things, but they also don't understand the inner workings of like how much money I've funded into that business or what's going on at Wink or, you know, mm-hmm. any of the other sort of moving pieces across my sort of commercial life, you know, other boards that I'm on or whatever. So I was like, okay, like here's, and we had a very honest conversation this morning. Like, Here's some of the pieces. Here's the bits that I'm really good at and add a lot of value to, but I really can't be coming in and touching these things, guys. Like it's it's not a value add for me, not a value add for you. Like it's, um, so there's definitely a burnout element where I need a good chunk of time off. My is that problem, planned? Like do you have it planned yet? My problem is, is that when I'm here, I'm so like, I, lo- I, I derive so much satisfaction out of new projects and I have so many ideas. I wish there was an ideas drop-off service. I always say this, like I have so many ideas. I wish I could just take them somewhere and give them to executors and like I'll just keep like 10% equity. You can call me with your questions, but you guys go like make the business. Yeah. Um, because I've got like, so I keep starting things and then joining boards and, you know, doing, doing podcasts. And I'm, so when I'm here, it's very bad. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, because I see opportunities and there's still so much that I want to do. So it's like I need to be on a tiny island. So what? No you, what? What does recharging your batteries look like for you then? I also travelled a lot the last two years, um, and so 
being back here, it's actually been nice to have some stability and routine. I'm a massive routine person. So like getting up at the same time every day, going to the gym, you know, that's really important to me. That helps me recharge. Um, and then like long walks in nature. It's so much like this weather this time of year is like so beautiful being able to do those things and also spend time with the people that I didn't see for sort of nine months of last year when I was in my hole and lockdown and just um, drowning. The so. mental health at like the, the, the height of the intensity of this exit process and like all the stress, how would you explain like your, um, obviously you pushed through and you had to be strong and you yeah. did it, but if you're really honest with yourself, like at the hardest point, how, how do you think like, mentally you would describe like your, your mental state, your mental health. There was so many, I was so lucky that um, the chairman of my board um, randomly had also studied psychology and there's, there was so many touch points where he would be like, call it, I'm going to call and check in on you. Mm. This is really hard. Like I recognize that. And they're like, you've got this. It's okay. You can send a text at 10 o'clock at night and be like, I fucking can't do this anymore. (laughs) Like, Having those people around me, like without that, I would have been totally lost. I mean, I have a psychologist, mm-hmm. like a counselor as well, and acupuncture and those sort of things. Like I was very mindful of making sure I had those things around me and set up as much as I could for success. I love how you've built your team around your life to set you up for success in all facets. Like so important. It's so important. It's something that I'm like I've identified and I'm kind of in my journey trying to do. And I feel like if you want to be like a high achiever and do all that. You can't handle all of that yourself, right? You need to have a team behind you. And there was this, in my twenties, I was like a real martyr. I was like, I just have to do it. Like this is, you know, this is the, the, the thing we take on as entrepreneurs. Like we just have to be stressed and unhappy all the time and carry all of these like (laughs) big. A bit of a sadist. Like that's just what I've signed up for, right? Totally, Mm -hmm. totally. And now I'm like, actually like, no, there's like amazing, you know, people or services that you can have around you who are willing to either because they're being paid to take Mm -hmm. this on or because they care about you and they want to add value in your life. And, you know, there's usually some reciprocity in that. Like, you know, you sure. Yeah. yeah. And that want to help. And like, they can only help if you give them visibility. If you're like, you know what, I'm really struggling with, you know, whatever this particular thing is, whether it's a personal or professional thing, Mm -hmm. like then people will be able to be like, cool, I can help with that. Or like, I'm happy to workshop that with you. Let's go for a long walk around the Harbor and you can have a vent and I'm going to give you some feedback and we can, you know, draft that email together or like, work that text you're going to send to your partner or whatever, like having those people around you, so invaluable. Naturally for you, has that to like bring people in for help, whether it be professionally or or, or personally, was that something that came naturally for you or? I probably didn't realize it until now. Um, In the last two years, I've been much more aware of how willing I am to ask for help and that I don't have there's definitely like in my early twenties, there was like the fake it till you make it kind of thing where you're like, yeah, it's all good. I got it all together. Everything's yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and then I definitely got to a point where I was like, yeah, it's actually so fine to say, I actually have no idea about public liability insurance. Can someone help me with that? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, put your hand up and ask for help with it. You know, whether it's personally, professionally, people genuinely do want to help and no one, no one that I've ever asked for help in any aspect of you know, my career or personal life has ever been like, well, it's dumb. You know, <laughs> they're, they're always like, oh, a really similar thing happened to me or like my divorce was horrible or this, you know, yeah, wow, I really struggled with my mental health. And it was when I was sold the company, I went to see four or five of my closest sort of work friends um, who had also sold companies. And I was like, hey, like, hmm, like how did you feel and what did you do afterwards? And they're like, had massive depression. You know, my wife and I nearly split. 
I thought I needed, you know, six months off. I needed three and a half years. Like, you know, there was just, everyone was so open about their journey and their experience. And so I think if you, if you don't ask, mm-hmm. like no, people can't share that with you. You just walk through life feeling so isolated and so alone. And I feel like a lot of the time it's like out of this self-preservation wanting to protect your own ego. Yeah. Like you think 100%. that's the most important thing. I need to look cool and smart to yeah. everyone that knows me that I don't struggle with everything, yep. anything at all. Yeah. And it's just like the sooner you can, and it's still a process for like everyone, for me, I'm still having to identify what am I doing in my life that's like still ego based. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like the quicker you can shed that, the faster you got to move forward through all the stages and levels of life. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And like I read so much about this kind of that space um, and having people around you who can be like, I'm just noticing this like repeat <laughs> behavior thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Probably I think it's really coming from, you know, you're not feeling safe in this particular area or oh, a bit of childhood trauma going on there yeah. or a bit of, and who can call you on it. And you're like, Instead of, there's no, instead of being defensive, you're like, I'm going to take that away. I'm going to sit with that and I'm going to do some self-reflection and be like, yeah, maybe that is coming from here and what could I do to change that? So. And that's why it's important to have like those people in your life that can give you the like constructive feedback and it's not a personal attack. Yeah. It's out of love and care yep. and to help. You know what I yep. mean? But still with, with everything in life, I feel like while you have to be open, you've got to take everything you hear from particularly friends or family or other people in business, unless it's your board with a grain of salt. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you'll get thrown advice all the time, but I still think it's really important to be open with all that stuff because there's no manual for, you know, growing totally. up completely and particularly totally. in business, like learning all the lessons, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and all you can be guaranteed is that someone has had a very similar experience and, you know, who's 10, 15, 20 years along the journey further than you who can be like, here's some hot tips. Like here's how I got mm-hmm. through it or mm-hmm. why don't you think about this or I'll connect you to this person that you might be able to help. So. Yeah. And I think like how much I've learned and grown over the last like six and a, six years or so mm. in business is like, imagine the people that have been doing it for 30 years. Yeah. I'm such a baby. And it's like, yeah, that's why. Yeah. Um, but I do want to make sure I really, I'm, I'm curious about hash gifted or hashtag gifted, depending on how you're looking at it. Now for me, as someone who's been, you know, in the influencer content creator space, for the last, you know, as I said, half a decade, it makes so much sense to me, but for those who don't know what it is, explain kind of how the platform works, what it is. Yep. And then I'm curious to know, because you always think of like the pl- problem and the solution, yep. how you got the idea for solving that totally. problem. So um, essentially as a brand, you can sign up to Hash Gifted and you can post what it is that you're willing to gift. So it could be a hotel stay, any sort of e-com product, mm-hmm. um, experiences, events, anything. And then from for creators, it's like a dating app. They literally just swipe left and right on. I stuff. love how you set it up so, in that way. Yeah, because I just so thought fun. it's like from as a creator myself, I was constantly getting sent stuff to our office, and it would just like pile up. And it was because all of these PR agencies or brands had my personal details or our office details, and so like they would send and like amazing, beautiful things, clothes or you know skincare or whatever. And I'd be like, oh, I feel so wasteful because like it wasn't it wasn't my size or it didn't or whatever. And so I would constantly be trying to palm it off to people in our office. I'd be like, you know, do a few token, yeah, yeah, (laughs) unboxing stories or whatever. And they'd be like, I literally don't need any more candles or whatever it was. Um, And so I was like, there's so much waste here. But then there were so many times in my life where I'd be like, okay, I've got a new, like another black tie ball and I need a black tie dress and I'm not going to go out and buy one for like five grand. Can I borrow one? So I'd like DM a brand. Can I learn an outfit from you? And I was like, this is also like so unstructured and like, not probably not even going to the right person in the company, like going to some social media person. Like, so I was like, surely this, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so I was like, again, like, can I connect these two parties using tech, blah, blah, blah. So 
But I also, as a creator, was like, this is not going to work if it's like reading a long jobs board of like boring stuff. I just want to be able to see at a glance, like, do I like that product? Yes or no? Like, and just be able to, you know, twice a week, flick through my pile of stuff, it not be like a labor intensive exercise. And then once you match, you can start chatting. So, so what would happen? Yeah. So once, once uh, like a creator swipes, yes. Yep. Once they, um, so yeah, once they both like swipe on each other, essentially, yep. then they yep. can start talking. You can start talking. I love it. And um, if you're a brand, if you've got Shopify, you can connect your Shopify store mm-hmm. as well. You don't have to, if you use a different platform or yep. whatever, that's fine. Um, once you, then you can chat and you can be like, Hey, cool. Yep. We can give you that product in exchange for a TikTok video, or you can use it for ratings and reviews on the website as well. So if you just need you know, written reviews or blogs or whatever it is, UGC, mm-hmm. um, once you agree what, what the deliverables are, then you just confirm them. Um, if you're using Shopify, it will then automatically decrement Place the inventory. Like an order. Yeah. And it will come through and you just press fulfill and it will say it's from gifted. So you can really easily mm-hmm. check like at the end of the month. When you're doing your board report, we gifted, <laughs> we gifted this much stock yeah, and this yeah. was the ROI. Um, otherwise, you can just send it out manually. Mm-hmm. And then anytime the creator posts anything about on about your brand on any social channel, we like suck it all into the platform so you don't have to miss it. So mm-hmm. instead of being like waking up on a Monday morning saying like, shit, I missed all these stories over the weekend, you're like, okay, it's all going to just be in one place. You can download it. So you've got all the high-res assets and you can just – have a, you know, your marketing person go and check it once a week and be like, cool, here's all of our new assets. So mm. yeah, that's the sort of um, basic methodology at the moment. And then we'll add a whole bunch of other stuff. So you'll be able to share content out to your Canva library and make yeah. presentations. And So that, I, I yeah. looked at how it works, right? I'm, I'm actually kind of interested. So we'll probably hit up someone <laughs> in your team. You better, yeah. Um, but so I was looking at that now, obviously from the business sense, I'm like, okay, so it's it's for gifted stuff. It's not paid, like, yeah, which gifted. makes it easier because the people that are on that platform clearly know it's what, what, what they're getting themselves into. So that makes sense. I looked, so it does it, is there, well, I'll be honest with you. Whenever there's a platform like this, I'm like, that's going to be so fucking expensive. <laughs> Like, you know, you would yeah. know a lot of them are yeah. anything that's like affiliate base or connecting any of that. I yeah. expected it to be a lot, a lot more expensive than it is really affordable for the brand side. How does it work from the creator side that sign up? Is there like a. Yeah. So they have to have a minimum of 3000 followers mm-hmm. and a minimum 1% engagement rate. Yep. So we start at 3000 3, on Instagram, 10,000 on TikTok up to, I think our top creators got like 2.8 million. So mm-hmm. it's sort of everything in between. Yeah. And then you get to set the parameters on the gift. So you can say like, we only want people over 20,000 followers yep. or whatever you want. Um, and we've got a bunch of like it will be a very complex matching algorithm in time. So mm-hmm. we, when a creator signs up, they give us all this first party data, like I'm vegan, I have toddlers, I you know have dry skin or whatever, so that we can start matching them over time with better and better gifts and that you can say, I only want people with oily skin or I only want people with toddlers. So instead of having to go on Instagram and be like, how the fuck do I find people with toddlers <laughs> and like going through random hashtags or whatever. And then the, because ri- I think there's so much risk in it both sides at the moment, like from a brand sliding into DMs being like, can I gift you stuff? It's also very time-consuming. Super brand, time-consuming, right? yeah. And then creators are like, no, I want to be paid, you know, $5,000 or whatever. <laughs> um, and then, the, yeah, the time of trying to discover people and then that idea of like, okay, well, what are we actually agreeing to here? Like, what are you going to do in return? So we've got a ratings and review system as well. So each party reviews each other at the end. So creators can go and see all of the reviews of the brand and be like, yes, they're good to work with. They sent me the staff. It was awesome. I love the product tick. And for the brand side, you can see all the reviews of the creator and go, yep, you know, delivered on times, did what they said they were going to do. Because that's one of the biggest pain points from the brand side when doing anything gifted is like how many people are going to actually post it. You know what I mean? Like it's a massive thing and like. 
it's it's fair enough. Like if it's just been sent or there's no obligation suite, like what whatever. Yeah. But like when it's like clearly agreed this for that, yeah. and like so many people just ghost you. I imagine obviously if that's if people are going to be able to brands put reviews in about that, yeah, they're not going to be able to be serious serial offenders of just yeah. taking the products and running. So it makes a lot of sense. And I like the way that like influencer marketing and content creators has changed, and the importance of UGC and getting your product in in, in the yeah. hands of the right people is extremely important. But so you saw this a few years ago, kind of what was changing. What was like the thought process in your head, which like, what, what was the trigger? What was the identifying thing that made you realize mm, this would actually be really good? I really wanted a SaaS business. Like I was very clear that I didn't want to do another marketplace. I'd done an agency. I'd, I've done a marketplace. And I was like, I really wanted a SaaS business. I wanted something with like recurring revenue yep. that it wasn't the case of constantly having to reactivate client bases. So I knew the business model because some people were like, well, why don't you just charge per gift posted. And I was like, no, I want it to be something that's sticky and people come to and that has an integration that makes their lives easier. I'll tell you, the way so, you did it is way better than that for a brand. Thank like. you. Um, so I had a pretty clear idea of what I wanted the business model to be and then I kind of backfilled from there. Um, and I was really clear that there was this growth of micro-influencers and the value that they had in having these super loyal audiences and that brands were sort of becoming more Skeptical is the wrong word, but you had all of these really sort of top tier, well-known influencers that cost a lot of money, but didn't really sort of have niche audiences and finding people who spoke to a very, you know, that were a vegan food blogger or whatever, you know, that that's for all like Kmart savings person who's all about the special deals. Like finding those people were really hard. And so I was like, okay, if we can make a platform that's really about finding these sort of niche creators and where they can just go, yeah, I do want to try that product. Like, that's cool. I, you know, I'm interested in trying that or going to that hotel or that restaurant or whatever. Take all of the, like, the friction out of gifting because I think the, uh, the most of the reason people don't do a lot of gifting is there's so much friction. You end up spending so much time on the back and forth of, like, can I have this size note that's out of stock? Like, okay, what about that color? No, like, you know, yeah. oh, i got dry skin. Sorry, we sent you oily skin. You're, like, super painful. So I was like, if we can remove that friction, Everyone can do it at scale. They can get great UGC because I think as a consumer, I think about how I shop. I shop almost purely from what I see on social. So I'm like, like that top, like how it looks on that girl who's a similar body type and similar aesthetic to me shall purchase because I can, yes. as opposed to like no one just goes on the website and goes like, oh, I don't know, it looks nothing like me. I can't see it. In, I want to see how it hangs. I want to see, I want to see all the five-star reviews before I'm buying a product online. And so it's like I, if with my brand hat on, I'm like, how would I do that? I want to clearly you're not going and like holding a photo shoot and shooting 20 different people of different ethnicities in different situs and no. And how would I even go and get, we used to have brands come to us at the right fit being like, can we pay people to go and leave ratings and reviews on like Dan Murphy's or whatever. And I was like, I mean, I don't know. I'm not the law. I don't know what the rules are with that. <laughs> like I'm assuming, assuming they have to buy the product. Like I guess you could pay them to go buy the product and then leave a review. I was like, yeah, I guess getting reviews is really hard. Mm-hmm. I'm, as a consumer, I never leave a review. So how are you I don't think say? I've ever left a review yeah, in my life. Yeah. yeah, so you're like how do you incentivize them? You don't want to stalk your customers down mm-hmm. being like, leave a review, but you do want real honest reviews. So I was like, there's definitely a lot of point points there. Yeah, and a question I like to ask people that have been involved in the industry, like from the time that you started the right fit seven, eight years yeah. or whatever that was, influencer marketing has changed like Not dramatically. Much. Yeah. What's like, a, like how would you like, from your thoughts, how has it changed? Yeah. I think that de- the definite shift away from like vanity metrics of like, mm, oh, this person has massively. like 200,000 followers. I must work with them to being like, no, I want to find someone with like this percentage Australian audience, this percentage female audience, this, you know, very specific kind of um, 
niche or aesthetic or like a value set that aligns with mine as a brand. So I think we went from seeing, you know, the same 20 influencers booked on every single brand campaign in Australia to now seeing like super diversity, even the brands now being able to activate across multiple platforms, like they're trying Pinterest, you know, they are dabbling in YouTube more, mm. you know, which is really cool. So like they're willing, and it's just, you know, it takes time. It takes sophistication. It takes ballsy clients, right. Who are so used to being like, here is our advertising message to being like, okay, fuck, I'm going to trust this person to like do a TikTok video in their own style that they think is going to resonate. Like, I guess I just have to trust it's the that. the only way. Like, yeah. I'll tell you from the brand side experience, like I remember that moment was a few years ago where, where that changed. It's like, it's like, you know, you just got to find people you love their content and like, yeah. like here's like what the product is and I can't like the benefits of it, but then just like everything, like yeah. you just tell that story how you think's best. Yeah. Because the important is like, and, and as well, it goes back to like if a lot of people when they think of ads, I need to tell it exactly how it works, every single benefit, yes. all this stuff, but like, not what social is for. No. And it's like the best ads, like, and even looking like big budget TV ads, like it's like the best ads just sometimes they don't educate you on the protocol. They just make yeah. you feel something like I enjoyed yes. that. You know That's what I mean? That's a really good point. I'd never thought about that from like a TV perspective. So it's, it's like, yeah, it's like. They just cut through just for some reason. Yeah. And it's like no, no longer. It's like, and, and the people, even the people that are still getting, you know, the massive influencers that are yeah. getting 10, 20, 30,000 likes on, on every post, like the people I feel like, and I've seen like the trends of, I work with a lot of people doing influence marketing. We've, we've done heaps. Like they used to have a lot more, this is obviously like, there's no data on this, but I, I've spoken to so many people and they all agree. Like people used to be much more influenced by them, but I feel like yeah, the, the behaviors and patterns of people have just changed. If you see like, you know, Tammy Hembrow posting something, yeah. which we know we've worked with Tammy a couple of times before and, she, and, and it's great. But it's like, eh, like, it's like, yeah, it's just Tammy. She's doing a thing, you know, yeah. it's a job. It's like, it's, yeah, like it's more about that's... finding the people, yes. the niches, the little pockets of people that are talking about their real experiences, real yeah. journeys. And that's what works. And I think this generation, well, coming but way after me, but not as far after you, they love the joy of discovering products and services that their peers haven't heard about. For sure. And so they love that, like this, you know, boutique little fashion label that's made by like, you know, some person in some little remote area or whatever. They love the joy of that discovery. It's social and, currency. Yeah, exactly. And it's like reels and obviously TikTok was, was the major one. Like it, it, it leveled the playing field where it's like, it doesn't matter how many followers you have. If you make, you could have a hundred yes. followers. If you make an absolutely awesome video, it could get 10 million views. Yeah. It totally. doesn't matter. And that yeah. changed as well. And I feel like the big corporates, like I feel like the reason these influencers that we used to work with all the time, I see less and less smaller startup e-com brands working with influencers in the, in the, in the old sense, because it's like, it's like you're gambling. It's like, yeah. I'm going to give you $2,000. Like I've only got $5,000 in the bank. It's like, if you don't return my money and more like it's, and it's like yeah. you do one or two wrong mis mistakes, it can kill you. Yeah. But it's like, because all the big corporates are so far behind, like now the McDonald's and whenever yeah. Westfield and all these big people like, Oh, influence marketing. They'll go and throw that and, and, and it will be more yeah. effective what they're traditionally doing. But it's like the lifeblood of like the, the small businesses, the econ businesses, like the ones that are really impacted by how an influencer works, yes. they have to be on what's actually working because yeah. they know straight away because their business yeah. lives and breathes off the success of their advertising. And it's like, not like, oh, how did our marketing go for the last six months? It's like, you know that every day, every week, yes, what's working, yeah. what's not. So you have to yeah. be really onto it. What so it's interesting, middle. like- how that's evolved. And I think like looking at businesses from modeling to the right fit to this, it's like, wow, she's kind of like been on the right track the, of where everything's going. Yeah. So. And I think it's interesting because it, it had like when we started the right fit, there wasn't, we didn't have social media influence. Yeah. Well, that's crazy to like, think it was 
models, photographers, like, mm-hmm. and then we started seeing more and more brands going, oh, we want to find like someone who has a bit of social reach as well. I'm like, okay, well, like we can like start allowing people to connect their socials mm-hmm. and, and it became more and more brands going, oh, well, we'll shoot this girl who's got 50,000 followers. And there was a lot of pushback from models in the early days. They were like, they're using influencers instead of models. And, and I was like, actually, if you flip it on its head, it's actually that they're using someone that 50,000 people have said they like. Mm. And so that's the brand's like, oh, actually, you know, there's this so- social proof of like other people like her, not just our marketing team, not just our creative director, whatever. 50,000 people have said that this is someone that they like and aspire to be like or, you know, you know, like her style or whatever it is. Mm. That's amazing for a brand to have that validation that they're, that they're making the right decision. And 100%. So, yeah. And it's like as well, it's like it rewards not that being good, like, like it does, like if you're a good content creator, it doesn't mean you're an inter- interesting person, but it also does reward people with like character as well. It's yeah. Like I love time, that about, as you were saying with reels and TikTok, like you now really gone are the days of just being able to post beautiful, yeah, glossy be, photos. Every and, photo was like this. Exactly. It's like, what the fuck's that going to yeah, be? You know, yeah. it doesn't, it's not, it's, yeah. the world changes really quickly. Yeah. So we have to be really onto that as like, you know, small, medium businesses. Like if you're just launching a brand, like you need your marketing yeah. to work for you. Like there needs to be an ROI and it's obviously unfair to be like on influencers. You need to sell this many. Like it's, yeah. you know, it, it, I understand both sides of it, but the smaller businesses, the ones that like don't have unlimited budgets need, they need to see results straight away. So it's like. And I love what you said just then because it's like, I think so many brands go in with the wrong approach and they're like, we want this thing. We want you to do this many posts with this kind of caption, these hashtags, and it's got to be like this and it needs to be real and blah, blah, blah. Instead of going to the creator and being like, this is what we're trying to achieve. This is our brand. This is our budget. What we really want to try and drive is like newsletter signups or, you know, promote this particular product in this particular way. We need to reposition ourselves. We think we're perceived as like a bit old fashioned or people don't know these qualities about our products that we think are really interesting or whatever. Go to them with this problem and be like, what do you think? What what do you think would work? Like any ideas? Can we work collaboratively? Creators then go above and beyond and they're like, oh my God, let me come to you with some ideas. You know, we could do this. I could do a giveaway. We could, you know, do this collaboration together. Like I can do a mail out to my new newsletter base, like all these things that you never would have thought of. Mm-hmm. And so you can completely kind of remove the the scary pain point of getting started by being like, oh, I need to know exactly what I'm going to do. And just like go really open-heartedly and be like, can we try and collaborate on something together that's going to feel really good for you as a creator and really like deliver some results yeah. as a brand. So like moving into this like next new chapter of your, of, of, of your business life, obviously you've been quite successful with everything you've done so far. Now, if I was to say like next five, 10 years, what everything works out, like everything <laughs> goes to plan. What does that look like? For, oh my for God. You I don't life? know. This is like <laughs> the multi-million dollar question, right? Like, I mean, I think I, I don't think I'll ever be able to stop working because I just love, I love solving problems. I love, I get so much passion out of, meeting people with great ideas or, you know, that's why I love being on boards and like, you know, it's, you get to help an amazing CEO or amazing, you know, leadership team really deliver something incredible whilst you don't have to like get in there and do the doing every single day yourself. And so like I derive so much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, so, uh, so I really enjoy that. Um, so I'll definitely like have a smattering of projects is the ideal scenario to work on. Ideally not full time, but yep. so far I don't seem to be able to get that balance right. And I think as you probably know, like there's, you know, you can get this perfect set where you're like, okay, I've got one day a week on this and then one day a week on that. And then this one will like grow really quickly and say like, fuck, now that's doing three days a week. And then this one's had a crisis and so now that one's taking two. And, you know, so you can never quite get the balance right. So, oh, that's been my life the last two years, yeah, right? Trying yeah. to figure out 
And that's what as well I feel like you need to, like if you're like a, you, you want to be in business long-term, you got to think of it's more like a lifestyle. It's not like yeah. a, I'm here to achieve this because it's so, everything's so fluid and it's just like, well, I try and control everything. Like it's just, you know, it, it does kind of take the enjoyment out of it. Like, yeah. if, and, and for me as well, it just comes down to your values. Like, why are you in business? Like, what do you want to achieve from this? Like if it's money, great, go, go make money. If it's, you know, lifestyle, if it's impact, whatever that looks like for you. But that's why I think it's important. Like the questions you ask yourself and always check in with like, yeah. what, why are you doing this now for you, for you, there's someone that's gone through this experience. You've done a full on exit, a, a big scale exit as well. Do you go into a new business with the end in mind now that you've had that experience or do you not even think of that to you at least two, three years in? I probably, I didn't intend on working in gifted. Um, it was definitely sort of something that I was going to have a bit, bit more of an arm's length relationship mm-hmm. with. Um, and I definitely went into this one much more mindfully than TRF. Obviously I had zero awareness when I went into Wink. Um, of, of going like, this one is much more about the journey. Like, I really want to enjoy this. I really want to learn. I really want to have great people around me. I really want to still be developing some sort of skills along the way. Otherwise it's kind of pointless doing another one, like, you know? Um, and so it's been a really good opportunity. I think also to practice the personal growth stuff. Like once you start getting pretty aware of like, "Hmm, these are some of the things I suck at or some of the things I struggle with or that I don't enjoy. How can I practice because it's all very well and good in theory to go and learn those things like with a counselor or a mentor or whatever. But you, unless you actually see yourself in situ and go, Ooh, like uncomfortable conversation. Like, how did I go? Was I better than I was 12 months ago? Or like, you know, operating under pressure or building a team or whatever it is. If you, if you're not actually having to do those things ever again, you don't know if you've actually done the development. So it was much more about using it almost as like a test ground for can I get better at those things that I wanted to get better at. Um, and so. even like for someone like yourself, it's like the discipline of drawing the boundaries and and having like, you know, you said like, oh, shit, I didn't fully plan to be working this full time. Like yeah. obviously when it's early on in a business, kind of it takes up a lot more of your your time and energy, but there'll, there'll become a time where you, you may have to just, you know, be a little bit tough with yourself and be like, no, like I'm fucking yeah. going against what I said I would do. Yeah. It's not going to be easy because I've got all these ideas and all these things I want to do, but you've been putting off this break, this yeah, sabbatical, sabbatical, this holiday for how yeah. long? Yeah. You need to go and also like live your life and recharge yeah. then the next, you know. And I also think there was a big piece of self-awareness to me, um, you know, probably post-business sale that I'm really good at business. And if you apply more time, energy and effort at business, it's probably going to go better. Like, yeah, yes, you can have some outliers where shit happens and it's out of your control. But generally, if you work really hard. Pretty safe bet. Yeah. Pretty safe bet. Like it's going to, you know, up and to the right is generally how it's going <laughs> to go. Personal things do not work that way. And so there is definitely a part of me that's like, oh, I'll just work harder and do more work because I'm really good at that. And going and having to be like an awesome partner or like a really good friend or think about like, you know, my parents getting older, what's my relationship going to be like with the little scary, uncontrollable stuff that you can't just like apply more time, energy and effort to, and it's going to go up into the right. So there's definitely an element of like just hiding in the busyness of being busy as opposed to like, okay, shit, I really probably got to go look at some of the other stuff. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, we've all got our own journeys, you know, the, <laughs> the things that we're good at. Like, I feel like 
if, if you've got a problem where you're too good at working hard and too good at like you're good at doing business, I feel like you're in a pretty privileged position. So I feel like if you've been able to so figure out business. There's worse habits and there's worse vices. Exactly. Right <laughs> so it's like, yeah, the, all that other stuff, like I feel like as long as people are aware of that and, and aren't owned by their ambitions. I like, keep saying first step is recognising you have a problem. Exactly. Right? So like, you're doing well. <laughs> um, to wrap up, so like where's the best place if anyone wants to find you or the projects you're working on gifted, where's the best place people can get in touch? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram, Taryn Williams, T-A-R-Y-N, um, and LinkedIn as well. I'm a massive LinkedIn stalker yep. and yeah, check out hash gifted. And if you want to, you know, if anyone wants a free month, just email me, I'll shoot you a coupon free month it. and you can go have it. a play and do some gifting and send gonna... me all your feedback. Catch me on the customer service <laughs> yeah, channel. Yeah, yeah. I'll be- <laughs> yeah. I think we might, I actually showed, um, one of the guys, I said, pass this on to Steph because like, this is actually pretty, this could work well for oh, us. So thank you. We'll be, I'll be sending you an email for Amazing. sure and we'll be putting in our <laughs> feedback. So Tyrone Williams, thank you so much for coming in. It was a really enjoyable conversation. Thanks, so Steph. excited to watch the, the rest of the cool stuff you get up to for the rest of your life. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Done. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or you got something out of it, do yourself a favor, do me a favor, do your friends a favor and share this with them and they can come along on this journey with us. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.